As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible, open them up with me to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. We'll also be briefly looking at Romans chapter 11 today. Over the last few days and last couple of weeks, there have been some events that have gripped our hearts. In some ways, there have been some very positive things. We've had the message of hope and unity when the Winter Olympics began, and I always enjoy it when you see all those different nations march in together and celebrate the fact that we can come together uh, as a global community through something such as the Olympic Games. And then we also had the heart-wrenching shootings that took place in South Florida. And you see the faces of those young students that lost their lives, and it it just breaks your heart. Uh, Here locally, uh, we honored a fallen Richardson police officer, David Sherrard, who was killed in the line of duty. Uh, some, some in our church knew David, some knew him quite well, and so many are personally grieving with his family, even as we as a community grieve. And so there are moments like this that drive us to look internally and ask some questions, and one of those questions is, what's really important to me? What really is important to me? To ask it a little bit differently, what am I thankful for? What is it that really swells up gratitude within me? Most of us, whenever we wrestle with that question, we come to family. We say we're thankful for our family. You know, it's always wonderful to have people that really know you and still love you. That's, that's always a cool thing. For some of us, we are thankful for the basics, food, water, shelter. And if you think globally and realize how much of the world lives in extreme poverty, it really does drive you to be thankful for those basic things. We live in a world where we don't ask the question, uh, are we going to eat? We ask, what are we going to eat? And we often worry about eating too much whenever we eat. You can be thankful for your health. Five years ago, my sister Debbie lost her health, and now every day for her is a struggle. And so I was talking to her on the telephone the other day, and she said to me, I never really realized how thankful I should be just for my health, just to be able to live each day and not have pain or struggle. And so in life, you will either live with gratitude or you will live with attitude. One of the two. And I've observed that, unfortunately, most people, including me sometimes, live more often with attitude than we do gratitude. You see, gratitude extends love and grace to your family, and it realizes just how special it is to have family. Attitude criticizes and ignores the very people that you love the most in this world. Gratitude works hard 
It appreciates the work and contributions of others. It tries to encourage and lift up those that are around you. Attitude is lazy. It criticizes, tears down, and takes for granted the contributions and work of others. Gratitude bites into a good piece of Texas brisket. And gratitude says, ah, somebody worked 12 hours for this delicious piece of meat. It has a beautiful smoke ring. The fat is perfectly rendered into the meat. This is a hallelujah experience. (laughs) God could have made all food taste exactly the same, but instead He brought flavors to food so that whenever we partake of our favorite foods, it excites us and it, it brings us pleasure and it should lead us to be thankful. Attitude complains that the line was too long and that it's a little too fatty. Gratitude realizes that you need other people, that you're in this thing called life together. And so because of that, when you have gratitude, you can be a warm person towards others. When they struggle, you can still give them an encouraging, warm hand. Gratitude lives with the fruit of the Spirit. It exudes love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. It cares about people. Attitude, though, thinks all about me. Attitude is power-driven. It will run the red light, throw the trash out the window, tailgate the poor grandma on the Honda, and then complain whenever you get a ticket. Gratitude will lead you to worship. Attitude will lead you to entitlement. So here's the question. Are you living with gratitude or are you living with attitude? Which is it? Luke chapter 17, verse 11 is our story today. The Bible says that while traveling to Jerusalem, he passed between Samaria and Galilee. And he entered a village, and as he entered a village, ten men with serious skin diseases met him, and they stood at a distance and raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, Jesus has begun his march to the cross. He is traveling to Jerusalem knowing that he would soon face the isolation of the cross and He would soon taste death. And so along the journey, he runs into ten men who were also facing death, and they were also facing isolation. The Bible often uses the term leprosy as almost an umbrella term for various skin diseases that people often incurred during that time period. Frequently, the disease that they had would be what we call today Hansen's disease. It's a long-term bacterial disease. It can cause blindness. It can cause loss of feeling in the extremities, fatal infections. Uh, it, it, it is a, it, and they thought of it as a sign of God's judgment. And so these ten men, these ten individuals, they had a serious skin disease, and they had experienced isolation. Relationally, they were considered to be unclean. And so they were 
ostracized from society. That's why they stood at a distance. Physically, they had been forced to move. If you had these diseases, you would have to leave your family, you would have to leave your home, and you would have to go live in a colony with others that had a similar disease. Spiritually, they were no longer allowed to go to church. They couldn't go to the temple. They couldn't go to the synagogue. Emotionally, they were beaten down. They were considered to be worthless, unloved, completely unemployable. And so notice, all ten were in need. And when they were in need, they all called out to Jesus. And what did they call out? They said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Master, have mercy. Mercy on us. Verse 14 says, when he saw them. So Jesus stops and he looks at them. And when he sees them, he says to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And while they were going, they were healed. So if you had a leprosy-like skin condition and it healed up because not all the diseases were permanent, but it healed up, you were to go show yourself to the priest. The priest would look at it, and if the priest determined that you were okay, then you could rejoin society. So Jesus decides to put all ten to the test. He tells them, go and show yourself to the priest. Now, at that point, there could have been a large hesitation. Because, what's the point, Jesus? Look at me. You're telling me to go show myself to the priest. I can see that I still have the, the skin disease. I'm obviously still sick. I, I'm not supposed to go show myself to the priest until I'm better. Why should I go do this? Yet, they did it. And the scriptures say that while they were going, while they were going, they were healed. You see, they demonstrated faith and obedience. And when they took those steps, they received the healing. God often uses our faith and obedience as a means to carry out His will. God chooses to act when we step. And when God sees us take those steps of faith, then God often acts as a response to our faith. You say, well, now, doesn't God know all things? And God, doesn't God know what He's going to do before, before time? Yes, I believe so. Yet within the providence of God, God uses our faith and He uses our prayers as a means to fulfill His will. So, what keeps us from stepping out? All right, think about your life right now. Where are the areas in your life where God may be calling you to take those steps of faith? What keeps you from stepping out? Often it's FUD. I'm getting young and hip. FUD's like a new word. It stands for fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And so fear, 
uncertainty, and doubt keep us from stepping out in faith and doing what we believe that God has called us to do. But God desires from us that we respond to His will with faith. And when we respond to God's will with faith, God responds to our faith with action. So all, all ten men acknowledge Jesus as Master. All called out to Him asking for mercy. All of them did well. They obeyed Christ's command. And to our knowledge, all received healing. But it was after the healing that the grateful one was revealed. It was after the blessing that the one who was truly living with gratitude revealed himself. Look at verse 15. But one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God and he fell face down at Jesus' feet, thanking him, and he was a Samaritan. So one out of ten, seeing what God had done, returned to the Master, returned to the Savior. He was the one that chose to be different. He was the one that chose to be different to make a difference. If you and I really want our lives to make a difference, you and I are going to have to live our lives differently than the crowd. And this guy removed himself from the crowd and lived a life of gratitude and worship. And so he comes to Jesus. And notice his reaction. He's emotional. He comes to Jesus with a loud voice. You know what? It's okay to be emotional sometimes. I'm not really a big hugger-mugger. I'm not really one that just cries all the time. And I have to remind myself sometimes, it's okay to feel. I think tragically so. The, the further we get into adult life and the further we get into the grind, sometimes the more disconnected we become with our emotions and we don't allow ourselves to feel because I don't have time for that. I don't have time for emotions. But sometimes it's just okay to be emotional and to let yourself feel what you feel. And the man came to Jesus with exclamation, and he verbally gives God the glory. With a loud voice, he gives God the glory for the healing, and then he's worshipful. Look at his posture. He comes before Jesus, and he falls face down in a, in a sign of humility and worship, and then he's thankful. Not just for the healing. He's thankful for Jesus. And then there's this little add-on, addendum to the sentence. And he was a Samaritan. And he was a Samaritan. Why is that significant? Well, Samaritans were looked down upon. They were the lower class, only half Jewish, and so... The Jews of Galilee and Judea 
look down upon the Samaritans, and yet this simpleton, this Samaritan, was the one in ten person. He was the one who had chosen to live life with genuine gratitude. And so Jesus says, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he told him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, I began the message today asking the question, what are you most thankful for? And I want to end by asking, to whom are you thankful? You see, here's the difference between the Samaritan and the other nine. The Samaritan realized who it was that had blessed him. All ten did good things. All ten stepped out on faith and did what Jesus told them to do. All ten received the healing. I imagine all ten were thankful to have been healed. But only one responded to the blessing with worship. Only one was truly thankful, not just for the event, but thankful to the one who had blessed him. You see, the one who makes a difference in life is the one in ten person that is not just thankful for what you have, but thankful for the one who has blessed you with all that you are and all that you have. I want to share a verse with you. It's from Romans chapter 11. It's actually a hymn within Romans. Right in the middle of the chapter, Paul kind of breaks out into spontaneous worship. Paul did that periodically in his writings. I want to give you an assignment throughout the course of the week. You don't have to do it right now, but at some point this week, would you just write out with your own hand Romans 11, 33 through 36? Write the words out and try to meditate upon them. Put them on a piece of paper and then keep that piece of paper somewhere where you will come across it through the coming week and let it be a passage of Scripture that reminds you about the importance of worship. And here's, here's what Paul writes. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and untraceable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Or who has ever first given to Him and has to be repaid? And now notice verse 36. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. Your family, 
your health, your job, your home, your blessings. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. So what should our response be? To Him be the glory forever. Amen. When you choose to be different and give God the glory for your life, that's when your life truly starts making a difference. I want to read to you an article that was published by WFAA News this week on their website. It says Nicole and David Sherrard were high school sweethearts who fell in love at 15 and 17 years old. Nearly 20 years later at David's funeral, Nicole shared their love story. And it was a powerful message on love, commitment, and faith. David was laid to rest Tuesday, the day before Valentine's Day, after becoming the first officer in the history of Richardson Police Department to be gunned down in the line of duty. What he left behind was a marriage that had fallen apart and been rebuilt over the 15 years since the couple wed in November of 2002. It had gone from the brink of divorce to a loving relationship centered around faith and each other's happiness. And Nicole gave insight into a relationship with a husband who felt more like a roommate. David was working evenings and Nicole was working deep nights and hardly saw each other. They had drifted apart. Our marriage was falling apart, she said. There was hurt, bitterness, and anger. And instead of talking about it, we just kept going on with life. At church, David rated their marriage a seven. Nicole gave it a three. Two years ago, Nicole told David she wanted a divorce, and Dave told me to give our marriage one more chance, and he would prove to me that he could be the husband I needed him to be. And at the time of his death, two years later, he had not let me down one time. Speaking in front of hundreds of friends, family, and fellow officers, Nicole shared what made David a great husband and ultimately what she says saved their marriage. He was a godly husband, and they reprioritized their life. God first, then spouse, spouse, then children, and work. He spoiled his wife and wasn't afraid to embarrass himself to make her happy. He always said mushy stuff and made a complete fool out of himself for me, even though he knew he was going to get teased about it from his buddies, she said. David began keeping a journal and documenting his commitment to their marriage And Nicole cited one particular entry during her eulogy. I have to put God and Nick at the top of everything else. It's not enough just to feel it. Nick has to feel how much I love her. She is all I want and need, and I have to make her feel that she deserves to be happy. Make her happiness a priority over everything else. And so with a renewed focus, David had accomplished that. The two years since hitting rock bottom were the godly, loving, and happiest years of their marriage, Nicole said. They celebrated their 15th anniversary in November, and they recently rated their marriage again, and both gave it a 10+. plus. Let our marriage be your example. Learn from us on how short life actually can be. We thought we had forever. As I read through the story of their love, the story of their marriage, one thing screams out to me, and that was that 
when everything seemed like it was about to be lost, that's when he began to realize how grateful he was for what he had. But he was not just grateful for the things that he had. He became grateful to the God who had provided him with all things. And it was when he reprioritized his life and when he became a person of genuine gratitude, that's when things began to turn around. That's whenever he began to experience the godly, loving, happy years. And he has a hope. And his family has a hope that goes beyond the temporary. Because he's with the Lord today. The days to come in your life can be the godly, loving, happiest years of your life. But you've got to make a choice to quit living with selfishness for your glory, to quit living with attitude, feeling as though you're entitled and that everybody needs to get out of your way. And start living with gratitude, genuine love, genuine joy, not for your glory, but for God's glory. We're going to express our gratitude to God today through the taking of the Lord's Supper. It is something that Jesus instituted and told us to do in remembrance of Him. It is for believers. If you've not yet come to that point of trusting in Christ as Savior and Lord, then we do ask you to honor the sacredness of the moment and abstain from it. Yet at the same time, we invite you to become a believer. And so as others are taking of the Lord's Supper, I would invite you to come and talk with me and make today the day where you place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. So in a few moments... We will pray and we will stand and the deacons will come and they will stand here at these three tables. If you're over here in this section, if you can come down this side of the aisle, receive the Lord's Supper, go back the other way to your seat. Same thing with this section. If you're here in the center, if you'll come down whichever aisle is closest to you, receive the Lord's Supper and then go back to your seat going across. When you get back to your seat, As an individual, as a family, perhaps you're here with some friends. If you'll just take a moment to express gratitude to one another and express gratitude to God. And then after you've had a season of prayer, when you're ready, take of the bread and take of the juice. Remembering Christ, who is our Lord and our Savior, the one to whom all glory is belongs after you're finished you can just place the cup down beside you and join the band in worship to our lord would you stand with me please as we bow our heads in prayer heavenly father i ask your forgiveness in my own life for the far too frequent times that i just think about me Help me, Lord, to be a grateful person. And Lord, I pray that you will help us 
to be that one in ten person that is not just grateful for the healing or for the people, for the money, for the things, but is grateful to God. And Father, I pray that You will help us to live a life that exudes with the gratitude of grace. And therefore, leads us to bring You glory in all that we do. And leads us to extend grace to others. So that they see within us the love of our Lord. As we enter into this time where we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are so thankful for the cross. And we remember our Savior. And we remember that from Him and to Him and through Him are all things. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. In Jesus' name that we worship. Amen. Come and take of the Lord's Supper.